You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yeah, I don't want to do this sermon. <laughs> Matthew 5, verses 27 through 37. We're going to talk about the elephant, the amputation, and the redeemer. The elephant, the amputation, and the redeemer. If you heard, as Holly did such a great job reading through portions of the Sermon on the Mount, topics that we'll cover today are lust, fornication, adultery, and other uplifting, encouraging things that we all sing songs about. Oh, wait, no, that's right. We don't. Because these are, this is the elephant in the room. See, These are things we're all dealing with. And when it comes to gathering together as a church or gathering together in polite company, which most of you aren't, but you pretend to be, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to talk about lust, fornication, adultery, divorce. We don't want to talk about it. And yet it's killing us. As a society, you just look at what's going on. We live in a culture today in which we uh, have as our leaders serial divorcers whose divorce doesn't factor into our uh, thoughts on their credibility at all. You have today in many of the universities uh, that uh, we participate in, that we fund, and that we go to, you have what's called uh, by many a rape culture, an epidemic of the rape culture, that there's, there's such systemic evil, there's such a culture that uh, within many of these universities and many of these industries and businesses that when, uh, when rape happens, it's, it's, it's covered up, it's hush-hushed, or it's just thought of as normative. You have, of course, uh, scandals coming out of Hollywood. It's interesting to me. I'm shocked that we're shocked that an industry that uh, makes uh, little of sex and sexuality, that makes it to be merely an appetite, I'm shocked that we're all shocked when uh, industry leaders treat sex as merely an appetite to be satisfied. By the way, today's sermon is PG-13. Uh, our adventure kids have an amazing ministry and check-ins in the lobby, and there's absolutely no shame if you don't want me teaching your kids about this stuff, but we're going to talk about it because Jesus talks about it. 
We were just eulogizing Hugh Hefner as a culture. We were elevating him as a man of industry, a wise entrepreneur, a shrewd businessman. The reality is he's a man who made, and his death is a tragedy, but his life was tragic. He made his money subjugating women and selling images of women to the hungry mobs and masses and made it to one degree, I would argue, normal. And so we need to talk about it, right? This is an elephant in the room. We're all very quiet right now. Everyone's like, I'm done singing. I want this sermon to be over because we don't want to talk about it. Well, we're talking about it. Jesus is not a prude. Okay, so one of the sins, I would argue, of uh, many churches in our city for the last hundred years, perhaps, one of the sins has been that we've not talked about sex. We've not talked about abuse. We've not talked about adultery. We've not talked about these things because we're uncomfortable. And so we've created in a very, I would say that, 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 that we're almost complicit in the environment that we live in now. Because we've not talked about this. We've not elevated the Lord's teachings on the matter. And the Lord is no prude. In fact, uh, if you look throughout the scriptures, sex is elevated, is beautiful. Uh, There's an erotic book of the Bible called Song of Solomon. I would strongly encourage you, if you have a children's Bible that has Song of Solomon, cut it out. You don't want to... You do not want to give that to your kids. I mean, they need to be a certain age, in my very strong opinion. You have God creating sex. I mean, you have the pinnacle of it, the prototype of it with Adam and Eve in the garden, naked and unashamed. Just real quick, P.S., sex was God's idea. Y'all with me on that one? Someone was woo-hoo. Someone just (laughs) woo-hooed. Woo! Love this sermon. Yeah, it's going to get even better. But when we treat sex or sexuality and marriage in ways that are uh, distortions of how God designed it to be, it can be destructive, it can cause despair and shame, it can eat us up from the inside out in the same way that food is good, but when we abuse it, it can be destructive. You, you don't often hear sermons on gluttony from large pastors, and I wonder why that is, why they don't pick that sermon, but... Food, in the same way, food is an inherent good. It's good. There's beauty. There's art. Anyone who likes a good meal, you can experience God's glory in that. And yet, when it's abused, when it's used in distorted ways, it can be destructive. Y'all with me? Okay. In the same way, sex, sexuality, marriage, when it's viewed in distorted ways, it can be uh, destructive. And what Jesus here is warning against is that destruction that comes when we have a view of sex, sexuality, marriage that's distorted. See, sex is a good, it's inherently good, and when used correctly, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. So you have the prototypical marriage with Adam and Eve, right, as a man and a woman, and they are naked and unashamed. And there you have this image within a marriage of what sex is used for. It's a way to communicate physically with, uh, to correspond to the ways that we're communicating verbally as well. Uh, to put it another way, Marriage is a covenant with another sinner saying, I am yours. I'm giving myself to you. Okay? 
What we've done, so it's a covenant saying, okay, so, so you're imperfect, I'm imperfect, we're gonna live this life together, we're gonna be together, it's husband and wife, and one day, okay, so you guys have heard, um, real quick, TV time out, have you guys ever heard the term, the old ball and chain? I love that. It's perfect. Because what we do in marriage is we chain ourselves together because we know that we're marrying a sinner. And one day we're going to wake up and we're going to look them in the eye and say, depart from me, doer of iniquity. I don't like your face no more. One, okay, so when, you know, I, you know, when we're younger, right, you're going through, you, you, you're engaged, why are you going to get married? Because we love each other, Okay. My, my, I have people tell me that all the time. And you know what I say? It's very pastoral. I say, you will not one day. There will be one day, I guarantee it, there will be a day, the day is coming, where you will realize that you despise certain aspects of this person that you have chained yourself to. And the reason we get married is we covenant with one another to say, when that day comes that I hate your guts, I'm staying, and we're going to figure it out. That's why we chain ourselves together, right? If romance and relationship was always good, we wouldn't need marriage. We would just be together. The covenant of marriage binds us together. And we're saying to the other person, you, I am totally and completely yours. Here's the distortion. In this culture, we've made marriage about me, right? They make me so happy. They complete me. Listen, let me just cut right to the chase, okay? If you need completion, you will not find it in a spouse. I guarantee it. And all the married people said, okay? Your spouse will not complete you. I guarantee it. The problem in your life won't be fixed by a spouse. It'll be amplified, right? One of the things that marriage does is it holds up a giant mirror and shows us how horrible we are because we can't run away, right? You can trick your pals. You can't trick your spouse. And when you have kids, forget about it. They're going to see right through you. When we get married, we bind ourselves together and we say, when that day comes, we're going to get through it. And sex is a physical covenant renewal ceremony where I say to the other person, I exist for you, for your flourishing. I'm going to give myself to you. But in this culture, we've made sex about what? Me, what can you do for me? And here's the distortion where it comes to fruition. The minute that you no longer meet my needs, done. You see, uh, here we, 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 we have Jesus showing us that pornography, strip clubs, flippant divorce. Now, I want to, you know, just real quick, TV time out. Easy for me to say. Right? Easy for me to say, I'm not divorced and I'm married. So for those of us that are single, easy for me to say. And for those of us that are divorced, easy for me to say, I know. Like when I said I don't want to do this sermon, I really don't want to do this sermon. Because I know that right now I'm trampling. But I want to be faithful to the Lord and, and, and here's what I would just give to you, uh, just a couple things real quick. Uh, number one, I believe that Jesus' teaching on divorce here is about flippant divorce. 
I don't believe that he's speaking about abusive situations, abandonment situations. I don't believe he's teaching about that here. You, you look at the text, it seems to be that he's speaking to these religious jerks who just kind of dismiss their wives when they feel like it. Do you see flippant? You no longer meet my needs. I don't believe that he's teaching about abandonment or abuse here. And friends, if you're there, as a church family, we want to help. I'm going to talk about ways that we're trying to help in just a few minutes. But I want you to sense this. When, when Jesus is teaching about divorce here, I fundamentally believe that he's not speaking to those who are being abused, those who have been abandoned. He's speaking to those who have a view of marriage as marriage exists just for my needs, and the minute that I'm done with you, I'm done with you. Y'all with me? For those of us that are single, here's pastor talking about sex, and that's super frustrating. But let me just encourage you in this. I, I don't have anything for you, but I think Jesus does. Jesus lived a fully flourishing life. He lived out his sexuality in the perfect way, and he did not engage in a sex act. Contrary to what everyone else in this culture is screaming at you, you do not need to be engaged in the physical act of sex in order to be a whole person. Let me say that one more time. Contrary to popular belief and what everyone else is screaming at you, you do not need to engage in the physical act of sex in order to live a fully flourishing lifestyle. You want proof? Look at Jesus. Now, I don't know what that feels like. I, I don't know all the temptations that come with that. I don't know the pressures that come with that, but Jesus does. Scripture says that he was tempted in every way as we were and yet was without sin, and you can go to him. You don't have to go to Pastor Caleb. You go to Jesus. He knows what it's like. You say, well, I'm longing for a spouse. I'm longing for someone to love me. Jesus knows what that feels like. All right, you all with me? We live in a culture that has, so hear me on this, flippant divorce, which basically is simply saying, you exist to meet my needs. The minute you don't exist my needs, I'm done with you. I'm going to kick you to the curb. Pornography is simply your flesh exists for what? My needs, my wants, my desires. Two weeks ago, we talked about how if we say a slanderous word to someone, it's an attack, it's, an, it's attempted murder on the imago Dei, the image of God in that person. Every person that exists, including your enemies, is made in the image and likeness of God with inherent dignity, worth, and value. Every person, including your enemies, every person, every is made in the image and likeness of God with inherent dignity, worth, and value, and pornography turns the imago Dei into carne asada. It takes the imago Dei, a person made in the image and likeness of God, and puts them on display as a piece of meat for your gratification. And the minute that you're done with it, we throw it away. That's for let me be clear here. That's for men and women of all ages. Because all of this starts with discontentment. It all starts with, it must be nice. Must be nice to have a spouse that does that. Must be nice to have a spouse that looks that way. Must be nice to have a body like that. Must be nice to have that. Discontent. It's the beginning of it. So whether it's uh, strip clubs, uh, pornography, uh, flippant marriage, all of these are degrading the image and likeness of God in people and destructive to your own soul. Let me just ask, don't answer. 
Well, answer in your heart. Don't say anything out loud. As you've pursued these things, has it ever eternally delighted and satisfied you? For those of you who thought a lover would be the thing that you need, have they eternally satisfied and delighted you? Have you found your everything in them? No. We're meant for something greater, for something more. And Jesus says, treat this with severity. The elephant in the room requires a severe hmm, response. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Let me ask you a question. Does he sound serious? Right? We're going to celebrate Christmas real soon, and we're going to have little pictures of baby Jesus, and we're going to be like, what a cute little guy. Does this sound like a punk? Does this sound like a boss? Does this sound like someone who's like, you know what, Uh, you should maybe consider, you know, thinking about what you look at. Or is this someone who's deadly serious, holding up with severity, watch your heart, watch your life? What do you think? Is he serious? I mean, Jesus doesn't throw around like amputation frequently. Now, I don't, I'm not going to argue that he's talking about actual amputation. In fact, uh, Jewish uh, uh, teachers at his time, especially and today, uh, are known for hyperbole. And I believe that this is speaking to something exponentially more difficult than amputation. If a doctor came to you and said, hey, you've got an infection in your hand, and you're going to die if we don't amputate, how seriously are you going to take that conversation? I mean, you're going to be like, no, I think I'm going to try some essential oils, put a little rosemary and paprika on it, see what happens, maybe a little frankincense, and we'll just kind of see, right? No, you treat it seriously, right? How seriously? Deadly seriously. Because what you're talking about is what? Life and death. With that same level of sincerity, or severity, excuse me, with that same level of severity, look at your heart. Look at what you are feeding your heart. Jesus uses the language of lustful intent. That's feeding your heart. It's using your eyes or your mind to imagine a world in which you are get, it's fantasizing with intent to use that person, use that person in the image and likeness of God to gratify the desires of your own self and lord it over them. He says, watch out for that. And if you are in a circumstance, situation, if you're engaging with a product or a television show, or you have habits in your life in which that's happening, cut it off. What your eyes see and your mind entertains is what you feed your soul. You think television programs are just entertaining you while you bide your time. Now, I'm not going to get up here and make a list because my list is different than your list of what I think is righteous for me and good and healthy for my family, okay? So I'm not going to get up here and, and frankly, I know you want me to give you a list so it can be easy for you. I ain't going to give you a list. 
because it requires constant heart surgery, right? It's easy to cut off our hands. It's difficult to consistently be about the business of guarding our hearts against that which destroys us. What we think is gonna gratify us will actually kill us. Now, let me put it to you this way. There's gonna be business meetings. There's gonna be money that you leave on the table because you're gonna choose not to go to that restaurant or not to go to that club. Y'all with me? Right? Cutting it off. What does that mean? It means I'm, not, I'm just not, right? The, the, the crew is going to go hit up the candy shop for a little business meeting after work. They're going to talk about money. I, work, I, I mean, I make, you know, I make commission. I'm leaving money on the table. And Jesus says, yeah, you're cutting your hand off to save your soul. For some of us, it's our phone. We find that our phone gets us into trouble. And so we got to just get a, you know, they have smartphones. Just get a dumb phone. You say, well, what if I miss a text? You're not that important. Like, you think you're that important that you need to be, like, readily available 24-7? You're not. I'm not. Right? For the most part, uh, you know humans lived before the smartphones? It's crazy. Right? For others of us, it's the, type of, uh, it's the type of company we keep. For others of us, it's the type of shows that we watch. And I'm not going to make a list for you, but you should have a list. And what I mean by that is you should be about the process of self-analyzation. Lord, what am I feeding my soul and what do I need to cut off? Because the thing I think is gonna gratify me will end up destroying me. Jesus is not talking about mutilation. He's talking about mortification. He's not talking about killing the flesh. He's talking about killing the sin inside of us. As a church family, we don't want to just talk about this. We want to help. I'm going to ask the crew to put some uh, numbers up on the screen here. Uh, we take this very seriously. This uh, topic, by the way, or these topics of divorce, lust, adultery, fornication, also uh, I'm going to include in that that this definitely brings up for many of us sexual abuse, abandonment. And right now we're saying, Lord, Lord, so as a church family, we want to be a people who help. There are people in this congregation who every one of those circumstances that I mentioned, they've walked through it, and they want to meet with you, they want to help you. So whether you're in a situation where you're married and you're debating divorce, whether you're in an abusive situation, whether you've been in an abusive situation, you need to be about the process of healing, if you need accountability, if you need mentoring, if you just need to know how to navigate some of the relationships that you're in or the workplace that you're in, we have myriad opportunities for you to find help. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you. You got email address up there. You could text your name and email to that phone number. You can call that phone number. We have Celebrate Recovery, which means every Tuesday. We have Mending the Soul, which there's some on-ramping uh, for healing, but there's a process that you go through for that. Uh, we have all sorts of different types of marriage, uh, pre-marriage, uh, divorce care, um, counseling, and then we, we also have um, connections with a variety of uh, excellent professional counselors and so when we talk about counseling, we want to we help connect people with those who are skilled at this and who've been gifted by God. Uh, so we have that available, divorce care, uh, mentoring. All of that's confidential. I want to be clear, it's not anonymous. We can't, we can't actually do that anonymously because we've got to like, call you back and stuff like that. But it is held in confidence, which means there's only uh, one person uh, for each of those that's going to connect you to the other people. And so I want you to know this isn't going to be on a list we hand out. Uh, we're not going to be sharing that with a bunch of people um, if, if you'd like today, of course, you can visit Direct and Connect and find help. Uh, I would strongly encourage you, if the Lord is bringing something to mind right now, a deep pain, a deep conviction, do not go through it alone. We are not meant to do this alone. Shame, fear, and despair. 
is what many of us right now are feeling. See, the thing with the Sermon on the Mount is we all uh, two weeks ago heard the sermon, as some of us heard the sermon uh, on anger, where Jesus said, you know, like, uh, if you think you're not guilty of murder, but you've been uh, unjustly angry, you are guilty. And we all walked out of that sermon thinking, oh, okay, meh. I know, because I gave the sermon and I watched you guys. Um, but today, there are some of us who have been divorced, who feel horrible. And there are some of us who are stuck in the sin of lust or addiction, and we feel miserable. That is not the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is we're all Hefner. In our hearts, we have all subjugated other people. We have all made other people, made in the image and likeness of God, into fantasies. Some of us have acted on it, some of us haven't. But we've all, we've all done it. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount is we're all here. That the church is full of sinners. That, listen, if, listen, okay, check this out. If you can read the Sermon on the Mount and feel smug and self-satisfied, you don't know how to read. That's the point. The point is to say, you're walking around thinking you're a good person because you haven't murdered or had an affair, but check your heart and you will find guilty as charged. That's the point. We all should feel the weight of this. I mean, that's the point, is in the heart where God, P.S., God sees the heart. And the heart of each of us is guilty. It's intriguing that the Lord uses adultery here. He says it a few times. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks after a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to speak of divorce and on. That language of adultery, it comes up an awful lot in Scripture. In fact, it's a name that God uses to talk about you and me. Throughout the scriptures, God calls his people an adulterous people. If I may, Desert Springs is a church of nothing more than adulterers. We are a people who have whored after gods. Sex, money, power, lovers, education, stock portfolio, house, car. We have whored ourselves after other gods, trying to find eternal delight and satisfaction in created things rather than the creator, and the Lord calls that adultery. You find it most pronounced in the book of Hosea. He was a prophet. And Hosea's life is fascinating in that he marries a woman named Gomer. Wouldn't suggest that. <laughs> Wouldn't suggest that as a name. And aside from having a very difficult name, she also seems to have had a very difficult life. You see in Gomer, we find a woman who's adulterous. It seems, if you study her life, she seems to just be longing to be made whole. Pursuing this lover and that lover. Make me complete. Make me whole. And she doesn't find it. And she begins to, and this is in the scriptures and so I'm saying it, she begins to whore herself out after other gods. 
after other lovers. Out, she's out trying to find a lover that will make her whole. And you come upon this scene in Hosea 3, and I'm going to project modern imagery back onto that scene, okay? So I'm not making historical commentary here. I'm just going to project back onto that scene. You find her at an auction house, at a slave auction. From the text, I, I understand her to be a sex slave. And we know a little bit, as horrific as it is, we know a little bit about the price that an average slave was worth. And here you get this image in Hosea 3, this woman ragged, abused, not finding completion in any other lover, estranged from her husband, now up for auction. You have this image of the auctioneer saying, who would buy her? $500. Any takers? $500. I know she's used up. $400. Who will buy her? Who wants her? $300. Anybody? $200. She's standing there. Just longing to be made whole. $100. Anyone? $50. What's the value of a life? $20. And you have in Hosea 3... The Lord say to Hosea this, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Hosea says this, so I bought her. Hosea's hand goes up, mine, I will buy her. You have in this horrifying, despicable, painful image, our lives, going to all sorts of created things. Can you make me whole? Will you love me? Will you complete me? Sex, money, power, education, prominence, career, will you make me whole? Will you complete me? And none of these lovers make us whole. None of these lovers eternally delight and satisfy that image of Hosea saying, so I bought her. You know what the word for that is? It's interesting, we sing about it. You actually do know what the word is, even though you might not know. The word is redeemed. In 1 Corinthians 6, it's a text speaking about sexual morality and propriety. It's It's the portion of scripture that says that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says this. You were bought with a price, and so honor God in your body. If I may be so bold, you and I are the whores that long after other gods, and Jesus says, I will buy her. And the payment is not 15 shekels. The payment is his blood. Do you know that you've been bought for a price? There's a minister who shared a story that I find to be quite profound. And so I don't know the people. I'm gonna do it from memory. It was a story of a husband and wife that were in his congregation and 
Husband, they've been married, I think, for six or seven years. Husband goes to his wife and says, honey, you know, it just it feels like there's something between us. It feels like there's a tension between us. Is there anything between us? She says, no. A few days go by, she comes to him and she says, you know, you, you mentioned, is there something between us? There is. I've been holding on to it for years. When we were engaged, I cheated on you and I slept with one of your friends. Devastated. He leaves. He doesn't know what to do. And so he leaves. What would you do? A few days go by, and he knocks on the door. And his wife opens the door, sees him, and instantly begins to weep. He's got a bag in his hand. He's crying. He grabs her by the hand and he takes her to their bedroom. He takes off her clothes and he takes out of the bag a pure white nightgown. He places it on her. And he takes her face and puts it in his hands. And through tears he says, I choose to see you as Christ sees you. Spotless unblemished, redeemed. Do you know that you have been bought with a price? Do you know that the lover of your soul has given his life for you? That you and I are not to walk out of here in guilt and shame, but recognizing that we are all deeply guilty, and yet we are deeply and eternally loved by the one who bought us. In those moments of temptation, in those moments of longing, of discontentment, where you feel like your heart is going to be taking you to another God, ask this question. Will this God eternally satisfy and delight me? There is only one God that will do that. There is only one king. And when we recognize that it is in our redeemer, hmm? It is in our Redeemer that we find joy and peace and grace upon grace. You know, there's a song that um, Jesus paid it all. You heard that before? Some of us haven't, but some of us have. It's an old hymn, Jesus paid it all. It's that act of redemption, right? It's Hosea saying, I'll buy her. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I choose to see you as Christ sees you, spotless and unblemished. Do you know that, that your Redeemer lives, that he has bought you with a price, that he eternally delights and satisfies us? And in those moments of temptation and trial, only if we cling to Jesus, recognizing that he is our great joy, will we find freedom 